People of Note on Fine Music Radio is proudly brought to you each week at this time by Peter Turin Productions. This is Rodney Trudgeon welcoming you to this week's edition of People of Note here on Fine Music Radio. Our subject today is something that interests me specifically, and I only discovered about this relatively recently, pets as therapy, PAT. We'll call it PAT, Pets as Therapy, which is a community-based voluntary outreach organization that coordinates animal-assisted activities in a range of settings. They organize for animal guardians and their animal companions, which are mainly dogs, to visit people in hospices, retirement homes, frail care facilities, special needs schools, residential centers, and a variety of other venues. It brings company, support, comfort, pleasure, stress relief, and stimulation to those living either permanently or temporarily in these and other establishments. There is a fortune of scientific evidence, apparently, showing that the interaction between humans and other animals is therapeutic. And we're going to find out all about this from the chairperson of Pets as Therapy South Africa, Dr. Lee Adams-Tucker, who is a senior lecturer and clinical psychologist at the University of the Western Cape. Uh, Dr. Lee, welcome. It's good to have you here for what I hope is going to be an interesting chat about pets as therapy. I think I'd like to know, first of all, because I've described a little bit about mm-hmm. what it is, how you got involved in pets as therapy. Okay. Thank you so much, Rodney, and thank you for having me here. So for myself, you know, the organization has been in operation since 2001 so we've just as long as that as long as that so we've just had our 20-year anniversary which was last year but we didn't have a chance to really celebrate because of COVID so we are planning hopefully a 21st birthday this year (laughs) uh, which which we can have at our AGM in the middle of the year so it has a long history my involvement has been primarily for the last five years, five uh-huh. to six years. And I was originally based in Durban, where there wasn't a branch of Pets as Therapy and made contact with the existing organization to see how I could become involved and set up a branch there. And that's how we developed a relationship at that time. But it really stems from my own belief that the relationships we have with our animal companions dogs, cats, and more, can provide us with so much enrichment. Um, And so for me, it was about exploring that. I didn't necessarily have my own animal companion at the time that was suitable. Um, And I do have three, two dogs, uh, one cat. But it was more just to see how I could be involved in that capacity. So it was mainly an organization type of role to facilitate and be the coordinator there and then as I moved to the Western Cape I came on and took more responsibility on the Exco and have facilitated and moved to this position now um, as the the chairperson. How big is the actual organization because it's Mm -hmm. a volunteer organization I Mm -hmm. presume? Mm -hmm. So because it's been around for so long I was actually looking at the statistics recently we have in the time that we've been operational there's been 600 members um, on our books who've 
been active at various points in time, either as volunteers or friends of Pat. At the moment, we've got roughly 80 to 90 that are active volunteers, so actively involved in the organization. And our reach or our scope is primarily in the Western Cape. So we are across different areas, southern suburbs, northern suburbs. We've got very active group in the Halderberg area. That's one of our kind of strongest areas that we operate, as well as central Cape Town, Atlantic Seaboard, etc. And we've also got branches in Polokwane and in Durban. So that branch is still there. So there are different satellite areas where our volunteers are based, and we've got roughly about 150 facilities that we have assessed and worked with, even though not all of those are active uh, currently. Now, when I was looking this up Mm. uh, to do some research, I noticed there's also a branch like this. Is it in England? So there is an international aspect to it as well, isn't there? Mm. So the original branch, so the, mm-hmm. the um, flagship uh, branch, is the, the Petsys Therapy in the UK. We are not necessarily affiliated to them, but Hazel Hill, who was the founder of PET back in 2001, she was inspired by the work that was being done by Petsys Therapy UK. Um, so our branding is similar. We follow the same mandates, processes, lots of steps and checks in order to ensure that we are Credited and we are aligned with with what we need to do to support our volunteers and animal companions, but uh, we aren't the same organisation, if I can put mm. it that way. Okay, no, that makes sense. And what about the people who actually bring their pets? Do you, mm. are they registered and counted? How many are there? Lots of people who do this bring their pets to these facilities. So that active group of around 80 uh, is is what we're working with at the moment, as I say. So there was a large pool of volunteers, and then over time situations change when animal companions pass away or people relocate. So that's our active pool that we work with. We have a count because our volunteers... Uh, need to have indemnity insurance so Mm -hmm. there is a small fee that they pay to be a volunteer with us a very small amount which is purely for the function of indemnity for security when they're going through to facilities if anything happens but that's our active pool that we have Um, so I can explain a bit about the assessment process or how it works I do want you to do that but first of all I must just confess that I got mixed up when you said 80 I thought that was the actual company, shall we say. But these are the people, the active people who bring their dogs to these facilities. Yes. So our, if we're talking about the organization who who is managing PAT, we are all volunteers because we are, as you mentioned, NPO and public benefit organization. Right, right. None of us earn salaries. So we are all volunteers operating within this. Uh, we have a small exco of four members. Uh, and beyond that, we have a, a bigger non-exco that also provides support. That's roughly about eight members who helps us with decisions related to the organization and also for our AGMs and, and other operational needs. And then we have area coordinators that are positioned in those sites that I mentioned. And we okay. have about seven okay. or so of those. Well, I'm intrigued to hear about the assessment process for these people who bring their pets. But before that... What music have you chosen? I see some Bach lurking here, the C major prelude. Yes. Is there a reason you've chosen this? 
just a, a beautiful piece. I think it it is very relaxing, and that's what we aspire to do in our visits is that we want to bring comfort and relaxation to the residents that we see. So I thought it was a, a beautiful piece to start with. That's the prelude in C major, the prelude which starts book one of the Well-Tempered Clavier by Bach. And the first choice of my guest, Dr. Lee Adams-Tucker, and we're talking about PET, which is Pets as Therapy, and Dr. Lee is the chairperson of Pets as Therapy here in South Africa. And just before we stopped for music, uh, Dr. Lee, we spoke about, or you spoke about assessment. So when you speak about assessment, you're talking about the people who are going to bring their dogs into the facilities like hospice or care centers. Mm. And how does that work? That must be quite an important step. Mm. So we do have two assessment processes, just to, to mention that we work with the volunteer team that will assess, as you mentioned, the animal guardian and the companion and then we also assess the facility that makes a request for us to visit so there are the, the two processes but for the animal our pet team so the animal companion and their guardian initially interested parties would go on our website they would see our application form where they can find out a little bit of detail about our organization and they would submit that to us where we are just requesting to understand a bit about their dog or cat as you mentioned primarily dogs but we do have the odd cat that that is suitable and we get that information around age and training and a few factors around the dog's personality and temperament 
we find out where our volunteer is located, so where in the, in the country or where in the province, and then we would arrange or request that our volunteers go on a mentorship visit. That's quite an important step so that they can get a sense of what the experience is like. Um, not every people may have certain ideas that when they are visiting um, a particular home that this is what it will be like, but once they're there, they may feel as though it's not an experience that they would manage, especially if we're working in frail cares or, or units where residents may have dementia. It can be quite overwhelming. So we really stress that those mentorship visits are important to have ideally two visits, but at least one visit before an assessment. They don't have to bring their dog. It's just to shadow an existing volunteer and their animal oh, companion. I see. I see. So that would be the initial step. And then oh. after that, we would arrange the assessment. And that assessment we try to do three or four pack teams on a day and we're really interested in looking at the relationship between our animal companion and the handler, the, the animal guardian, to see their level of communication that the animal guardian can pick up any signs that their dog might be stressed in an environment and we have certain checks that are run by an animal behaviorist across various different areas of functioning, obedience, also basic physical um, grooming and, you know, the physical health is very important of, of our dogs. So we look at all those factors within an assessment to make a decision where, if the dog would be suitable or the pet team would be suitable, and then to think about what would be an appropriate location for, for a placement for the volunteer. So it's quite a thorough Quite a thorough process. Yes, yes. And we also request information about veterinary health. So when individuals apply, they have to provide us with a copy of their vaccination booklet to show that that's been done, deworming, grooming, as well as a certificate. And we have a template in the application from the vet stating that the dog themselves is in a suitable physical condition that they would cope with going to visits. Are they special types of dogs or th could they be any dog? Could be any dog. Uh, we do find that we often have a lot of purebred dogs, but we also do have mixed breed dogs that, that come through. Our main criterion is age, that we like dogs to be at least 18 months of age so that their temperament has settled. Uh, you know, they're not the boisterous puppies, the teenagers, mm -hmm. uh, and that we prefer not to have dogs that are 10 years and older. So we also have a ceiling because of senior dogs and, and keeping their welfare in mind. You know, I imagine I'm a great Golden Retriever fan and I know friends who recently went, I think, for an assessment mm -hmm. with a Golden Retriever and they were terribly excited, but they also mentioned just how stressful it was for the dog and them and how important this assessment was. It must mm -hmm. be hugely because once the dog is with the patient, you know, you've got to be trustworthy. The whole thing has to be trusted, mustn't it? Mm. So we also, after the assessment, if someone is successful, yeah. similar to the mentorship that happens before, we would encourage either the area coordinator or an existing volunteer to go with to just assist in facilitating that process. And it's our organization is not big because we also want to keep it intimate, that we want to be hands-on mm -hmm. so that we can know what's happening in facilities, that there can be a good match between the PAT team and the site that they visit. So that's, that's part of our rationale for, for where we go.
Gosh. Okay. We're going to have another piece of music now. Perfect Symphony. What's that all about? Ed Sheeran, Andrea Bocelli. Uh, so this is just a personal choice, uh, personal preference for me. I, I'm a big fan of both artists, and I think it is just a yeah, wonderful, wonderful piece. I don't have a particular backstory to this one, but it is. But it <laughs> as is long as one, you like it, it that's is the one that thing. I that I like. Um, so hopefully everyone will enjoy. I found a love for me. Well, darling, just dive right in and follow my lead. I found a girl Beautiful and sweet Well, I never knew you were the someone Waiting for me Cause we were just kids when we fell in love Not knowing what it was I will not give you up this time Darling, just kiss me slow Your heart is all I own And in your eyes you're holding mine Baby, I'm dancing in the dark With you between my arms Song. When you said you looked a mess, I whispered underneath my breath, but you heard it, darling. You look perfect tonight. Sei la mia donna, la forza delle onde del mare. Ogni miei sogni, miei segreti, molto di più. Spero che un giorno l'amore che ci ha accompagnato diventi casa, la mia famiglia diventi noi. E siamo sempre bambini, ma nulla è impossibile.
aspettato quanto ti ho aspettato perché tu stasera sei perfetta per me That piece was called Perfect Symphony, Ed Sheeran and Andre Bocelli, and it was another choice of my guest on People of Note this week, Dr. Lee Adams-Tucker, who is a senior lecturer, clinical psychologist at the University of the Western Cape, but, and this is what we're talking about here today, chairperson of Pets as Therapy, PAT, in South Africa. So, Lee, you were going to tell us, I mean, I'm quite interested in the process. What happens mm. The dog has been accepted and now they go into a retirement home, a frail care facility. Mm. What actually happens then? So once we have a good pairing and we have permission from the site as well, so as I, I mentioned earlier, that we don't just assess the the PAT team, we also assess the facilities, we understand what their needs are. So we okay. go in and meet with and get the relevant permissions from the Like at a hospice there. or something like yes, that. Yes, yeah. speak to the matrons, speak to the managers to get a sense of what days volunteers would be able to come, how many residents there are, are there any restrictions within the environment. Again, keeping our animal companions in mind, are there stairs, are there lifts, what do we need to think about? Um, are there also resident animals at the sites? Uh. Which is often the case that there are cats that may be at the facilities, you know, whether it is a frail care or um, another residential home. So we have to have an understanding of those needs as well in order to help match the teams and, and effectively. But on a, a normal visit, a standard visit, our animal team, our pet team would come in and we have options to, depending on what the facility allows or would prefer, to visit residents within their rooms, so individual residents, or we sometimes go into lounge areas where the residents might be gathered and a typical walkabout would happen where the animal companion is always on lead, so that's one of our requirements as well, that there is that constant communication between the guardian and, and their pet. And they would go through, allow the residents to potentially stroke, to speak to the animals. Um, we, we really take the dog's or cat's lead in that situation. We don't want to pressure our animals in any environment. So we're constantly checking in to see if there are any signs of stress, which we evaluate initially as well. But it's a continuous evaluation. And so those interactions would be an opportunity, like I said, to stroke, to talk to the animal. And um, do some people do that? Do they actually talk to the animal as well? Yes, very much so. Um, mm -hmm. And when we are in facilities, for example, maybe some units where we have dementia patients, that we'll find that interaction will spur a lot of memories regarding previous animals that they may have had in their own lives. Oh, that's um, so it really does create a very um, nice supportive frame and, and opportunity to bring up a lot of emotions. The animal guardians are also there facilitating conversation. So it's a, it's a, it's a dual process mm -hmm. that the the, peep, the residents are interacting with both the dog and the, the animal, owner of the dog. Of you the call dog. him a guardian, don't you? Yes, it's just a, it's a little bit of semantics, but it's a bit a move or a shift away from talking about owner to rather speaking about guardian, okay, and, okay. and it's our role in that relationship that, that's changed. Okay. 
So, and then the dog would go into a private room, for example, and spend time. Would it be allowed to get on the bed and cuddle up with the patient? Yes, if the facility themselves are happy with that, if the resident is happy with that, and also if the dog themselves feels comfortable, then that would be an option. Um, our smaller dogs are able to sometimes get on the bed with the resident, whereas our bigger dogs will sometimes just put their paws up so that their head will be there in order to be stroked. Mm. But that is one of the, the common interactions we have. We also recognize that not all residents like dogs. And so we're very conscious of that. And if we go into a room and someone says they really don't want to interact, there's no pressure from our side. Uh, and once that relationship is formed over time, we know which residents are interested and those that might be less interested or cautious. And then we navigate our visit using that information. Is there ever a situation where a dog might take, for example, an instant dislike to a patient and just not want to interact? Or by that stage of the procedure, has the dog been trained and all that? It's a good question because in the environments we go into, there can be a lot of unpredictable or erratic behavior uh, when we consider the residents that are there. In our initial assessment of the dog on the PAT team, we try to recreate those situations where there may be loud noises or some form of distress to see how the dog would react. So we try to get a, a benchmark to see what are the triggers for the dog that we'd be working with um, and try and get that information ahead of time. But really, as I mentioned, it's constantly assessing throughout the time with our, with our dog there, are there signs of them being stressed? And those are things that we talk about in, from an animal behaviorist perspective where we look at their body language to establish perhaps they're not comfortable. We need to now navigate and move out of this space. Yeah, because it must be tricky because, I mean, you get you can go and visit someone with a dog that's incredibly friendly and you can stroke it. Mm. And, of course, you can go and visit someone and they say, don't, it'll bite you, don't go anywhere near it. I was with someone just the other evening with a tiny dog mm. and I was trying to be friendly and every time I got anywhere near it, it growled and snapped at me. So this is the sort of process you've got to go through presumably in the initial stages to see if the dog will allow you to put your hand out and stroke it. Yeah, and, and what we notice as well is that it's not just evaluating the dog, it's also the animal guardian. Ah, um, right. And so it's quite a balancing act because people come in with good intentions, that they really feel as though their dog has got a wonderful temperament and would add so much value to the lives of other people. But the dog themselves has a wonderful temperament and is, is lovely, but is not really interested in being with other people. They're quite yeah. happy to, that too, yes. to engage that in too. other activities. Yeah. And so we have to evaluate that and see if the dog's not interested in visiting, then is that really fair to the dog themselves? Mm -hmm. So we, we also look at that um, in the assessment, but sometimes we can only really see that once we go through into the site, which is why it's important to have that follow-up and support from an area coordinator or an existing volunteer. Do these sites call you and say, we would like to use your facilities? We would like to use your service? Yes, so we facilities will reach out to us by, primarily via email just to express interest that they would like someone to come through. Um, as I mentioned, we are a non-profit, so we don't charge for the, for the service. Uh, that's often one of the questions we get, you know, how much does it cost to have these visits? I was about visits? to ask you that. <laughs> what do you charge these places? So there's, there's no charge for the service we offer. Mm -hmm. um, but because of that, 
as with a lot of organisations, there's capacity issues. So we have to have done the facility assessment uh, and we have to have enough members of our PAT team who can assist with that. So there often are delays. If people make an initial request, we can't always act on that immediately and we have waiting lists of organisations and facilities who we assess but at the time we might not have a suitable dog or cat that, that would work there. Oh, I see, so a waiting list then uh, is formed and I mentioned charging, Where do you, do you, are you sponsored as a charity, a non-governmental organisation, where do you get your funding? So our Primary funding, as I mentioned, is the the membership fee, which is just for the indemnity. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's to cover those costs. And then our friends of Pat, who are those who may not be actively visiting, but are people who are interested in the organization, uh, they often can provide an annual donation to be a friend of Pat. And then we have smaller fundraising activities that are raffles or other events that are linked to the organization. Okay. Now we're going to take another music break. And you've written down here, Over the Rainbow. Is this the Wizard of Oz, Over the Rainbow? Or what is it? Well, this was a request from one of our Oh, you said you were going to ask some of your members for music. It wasn't all yours. (laughs) Um, So it it is difficult being in a chairperson capacity, but speaking for the organization. So I think it was the elephant. Fitzgerald it's, was version. It? Okay. That right. was the one that was recommended. Um, but the idea of the rainbow does hold resonance for our organization because we talk about when some of our therapy dogs pass. Common terms we say is that they've crossed the rainbow bridge. Um, and we do celebrate those dogs that have served with us and given so much to the community. So we acknowledge them and their passing and obviously the loss and grief that their animal guardians will experience. When all the world is a hopeless jumble And the raindrops tumble all around Heaven opens a magic lane When all the clouds Darken up the skyway, there's a rainbow highway to be found, leading from your window pane to a place behind the sun, just a step beyond the rain. And the 
tune that is over the rainbow and it was a choice of my guest on this week's edition of people of note here on fine music radio and her name is dr lee adams tucker who is senior lecturer as clinical psychologist at the university of the western cape but she is also the chairman of pets as therapy pat and we've been talking about what happens lee once the dog goes into the room with this person but I've read here that people, some of them, become more active and responsive. It lowers blood pressure, all those things. And that's proven, is it? Because remember I said at the beginning, all this has been scientifically proved that they help. Mm. Yeah, there are various different benefits that have been reported with these interactions between humans and animal companions. And they can be physiological, as you mentioned, around lowered blood pressure, uh, lowered stress levels. The evidence that we have seems to suggest these benefits, but it's an ongoing area of of development that we're constantly looking at, and there's a growth of research around those particular factors. What we know anecdotally is that people's mood improves, that they seem more energized once we experience that in care facilities. 
sometimes we see that our patients, those that might be diagnosed with dementia, that they start to recall memories mm, from so. the I past. Find that very interesting. Yeah, yes, yeah. And, and we've had some uh, really wonderful accounts and, and cards and, and messages that have been sent to us from family members where they have spoken about how much these visits mean to their family members that are there in the home and that it's it's really created some wonderful opportunities to interact and engage and think about things in the past and, and bring them forward to the present. So we've seen that, we experienced that sometimes as well in terms of the physical side, like mobility, we find that residents who are able to, because some may be in wheelchairs, some may be in their beds, but for those who are able to move, they would sometimes walk with our PAT team and they would not take the lead away from the, the pet guardian, but they would walk together with the dog, grooming the dog. So they're those physical mobility type opportunities that are also very good for the interaction. And we know as well that just having that space to be with an animal companion is a non-judgmental, safe type of environment where people feel as though they can relax and um, mm. enjoy that Remember company. we were talking earlier about the fact that some of the some of them talk to the dogs mm, and mm. I see to extend that they say they share their thoughts mm. they, they almost confide in the dog and tell them the dog what they're worrying about or how they feel so it's almost like a therapy session yes. well it is therapy isn't it that's what we're talking about <laughs> so there are you know on that point there are kind of differences around the terminology so for for Pat, we engage in animal-assisted activities, so it's a less structured type of interaction where our residents can engage with, with the dog. It's not setting out for any specific goals or, or purposes, um, whereas animal-assisted therapy, let's say in a hospital environment or a clinical practice, that would be a more kind of structured interaction where there are specific goals that need to be met through that, that yeah, interaction. And how long is a session? How long would the dog be with the patient? For our dogs that are starting out in, in visits, we like to cap a visit to be no longer than an hour. And when I say that, that's within a facility as a whole. So with an individual resident, it might even be a fleeting five-minute interaction. Uh, we like to move around and see different residents, but we're also monitoring as I mentioned at all times, the dog's welfare, uh, if they're getting stressed, if it seems as though it's too much for them, we'll end the visit earlier. So we wouldn't want an overall visit to go longer than an hour. And for our dogs that are starting out, we almost build up. So we'd say maybe 20 minutes to 30 minutes, the first engagement. And then as they build up a relationship with the site, they can build up to a visit lasting an hour if, if the dog is up to it. You know, we, we're talking about retirement homes, hospices, frail care facilities, so I kind of think that we think of elderly people, mm -hmm. but I, you mentioned earlier that it's just as important and works just as well for children. Yes, so we have spoken a lot about our facilities for the aged, but we do also have school visits or, or visits to residential facilities for individuals with disabilities, um, and so we do have those sites as well, so those may be young adults or younger populations in general and then we have a, a separate but joint program within PAT which is called Lies Ukufundu Read or the Read program and that is a educational support initiative where our PAT teams will go into schools it's focused primarily on grade three learners 
and it is a reading support initiative. So in those situations, our PAT team would go in. It's a one-on-one -on -one interaction with a child where the child is in effect reading to the dog. So oh, it's okay. to support yeah. literacy efforts. Um, that's the main function there. And our PAT team, in that case, we often find it's maybe some of our older dogs or our very placid dogs who will just lie down for the duration of that mm. session. And the child will stroke them and, and read their story to them because of for the same reasons we've discussed, that it's a non-judgmental space and that it can be quite a comforting experience for them. So that's a, a dual program that we run. Uh, there's been press coverage recently of how important it is to have a pet, you know, when you are living alone, especially to have a cat or a dog, nothing to do with pet. But mm. um, the whole concept of pets is very important psychologically, apparently. And you kind of drawing on that in a, as a healing process, aren't you? Yes, really around the, the importance of animal companionship and recognizing that a lot of the residents in these facilities have had that animal companionship at some point in their lives, but due to the rules and the necessary systems that facilities have, they, they can't accommodate individuals with their own pets. So we're offering that service to come in and facilitate those moments of animal companionship. Right. Gosh, that's a brilliant idea. Now we're going to have another piece of music. Bob Marley is on the list here, I see. One Love, what's that all about? Yes, so it's a, a dual reason uh, for why we went with this song. On a playful level, the Marley is linked a bit to the dog Marley in, in the famous story and movie. Uh, but then also One Love speaks to the principle of what we hope to aspire, um, that there is that love and companionship that we have between all animal species, us included. Oh 
That was Bob Marley and a piece called One Love here on Fine Music Radio. And we're talking to Dr. Lee Adams Tucker, who is the chairperson of Pets as Therapy, PAT South Africa. One of the things, um, of the many things I wanted to ask you, but needless to say, time is always against us. You must have been quite seriously affected by the whole coronavirus, the pandemic, Mm. because surely you couldn't have gone to these people. Mm. And then that leaves people alone and depressed and we know that a number of people became extremely depressed being alone and stuck indoors how did you deal with that so from an organizational point of view exactly that our residents that we visit were identified as high-risk groups especially with the aged and those that may have comorbid conditions so visiting sites did not happen for for that period of time we had to halt operations which was very distressing for us, for our volunteers who really love what they do and and miss the residents there. Internationally, some organizations were doing Zoom types of pet visits. (laughs) That that was a trend that that was happening. Mm -hmm. Uh, The facilities here did not necessarily enable that in in the homes that we work with, although it was something we we considered. Uh, But it did impact us on that level that we couldn't actively move and expand and visit our residents um, also impacted funding as well um, for those volunteers who weren't visiting that they were not renewing their membership for periods of time we had a number of dogs that also themselves passed away during that time or became older Um, and as I mentioned we are very conscious about the age of our, our animal companions and so if they are not healthy or fit to work, then that would also be a reason to stop visiting. So there were there were a lot of shifts that happened during that time mm-hmm. uh, that impacted our particular visits that that we were coordinating. Gosh, and I read somewhere that you don't go and visit a person at their home, but I think have you not just said that that you do sometimes? In other words, a private visit, you would go to somebody's house or flat or whatever. Does that not happen? We don't have the the capacity to do the private visits. We do receive requests, and um, you know from from that side, we do note that there's a need for that. But within our organisation, the focus is to rather use our capacity to reach more residents. Mm-hmm. Um, so we will visit individual people within a site, and we do that, not just you know communal spaces, but to coordinate visits within homes is very difficult although we do know the need um, okay. and as we were discussing or thinking about that COVID-19 has obviously had a very big impact on individuals and their sense of belonging and their their sense or need for comfort so we're very aware that that is something that right. that needs support. Just one last question before I allow you to go <laughs> Dr. Lee is how often would the dog go on would they do one a day one a week? 
what we recommend to our volunteers is sustainability in visits. There is a general motivation initially to visit as much as possible, um, but we guard against that to say that rather let visits be sustainable. So the most that we would say is once a week. We would prefer to say maybe every two weeks, so you're visiting twice in a month, um, and that would be at a time that's scheduled for some sense of routine, which I think is also important. I didn't really speak to that in terms of the benefits of um, our animal companionship and what we offer, but we like to have structure and routine in those visits so that our residents know what to expect and that it'll be the same volunteer and PAT team that come each time to a site. So you're placed at a particular site and you have a relationship there rather than the PAT team rotating across various different venues. Right. No, fair enough, fair enough. And then I know we're not doing a, f- a fundraiser here for you, but it's such a wonderful organization. If people do want to contact you or if they want to contribute, what should they do? The best place to look is on our website. So that is pat.org.za. And on there, you can find our email address, which is info at pat.org.za, and reach out to us if you are interested to be involved in any capacity. We are also interested in people who will volunteer their time, people who have skills, whether that is in media or web design. Um, Those are some of the needs that that we have, as well as those who might want to assist in area coordination. And it doesn't mean you have to have a suitable dog. As I said, most of the people on the Exco, myself included, we are animal lovers. We have pets of our own, but we don't necessarily visit with them. So it's really anyone who, who is interested in the vision and the mission of what we do, we'd we'd appreciate support there. And we have to leave it there, Dr. Lee. I was talking to Dr. Lee Adams-Tucker, the chairperson of Pets as Therapy, Pat South Africa. But we're going to play out with some oboe music by Vivaldi. Is there some reason for this, <laughs> apart from the fact that it's delightful music? I think primarily that, just something <laughs> a little bit fun, a little bit light, uh, and to show the kind of energy that we hope we bring into the facilities that we visit. It's a most fascinating story, and thank you for sharing with us, Dr. Lee. And I, as I say, that was Dr. Lee Adams-Tucker. Here's Vivaldi.
People of Note on Fine Music Radio was proudly brought to you by Peter Turin Productions.